I want to look at Mark chapter 3, where we are. We've seen three times already in the first three chapters of Mark stories about Jesus calling disciples forward. Last week we looked at Mark chapter 1, uh, verses 16 to 20, and we saw Jesus' invitation to some fishermen. In Mark chapter 2, 13 to 17, we see Jesus' invitation to a man named Levi or Matthew, a tax collector, not well thought of. And Jesus invites him to come and follow him. In verse 14 of chapter 2, it says, follow me and be my disciple. And then in Mark chapter 3, which we read earlier, we see this third appointment of disciples. Now, if you're familiar with reading the scriptures, then perhaps you already know biblical writers don't tend to accidentally be repetitive. It is not usually an accident when they tell stories that overlap over and over and over again. There is intention behind that. There is a desire that readers, that that we pay attention. They want to make sure that we are in it. They want to make sure that we know this matters. Don't miss this. And in the gospel writings, we find that this calling of disciples was so important that the gospel writers told the story over and over and over again. Not just Mark, but even others. They continued to tell versions of what it meant for Jesus to call followers to come and go with him. Last week, as we talked about Mark 1, we talked about the idea that, that this first calling, this primary calling that Jesus was calling the disciples into was to come be with him. With was the important word. The idea that the calling, that more than anything, what Jesus was inviting women and men to come and do was to come and be in his presence. Jesus wants to love people. So he invites them. He invites us to come and be loved by him. And to grow to love him more as we are with him, as we're in his presence. This is the ultimate call of discipleship. That you and I would come and be in the presence of the creator of the universe. That we would come and be in the presence of the savior of the world. We have been invited to spend all of our days in the presence of Jesus. And my personal belief is that there is no better way... To live life. Now and for all the days of our eternity, there is no better way to live life than in the presence of a loving Savior. This is salvation. This is the gospel. This is God's desire for all of creation that we would be living deeply in the presence of Jesus. But as we look at Mark chapter 3, we also recognize that Jesus was doing more with his followers. Yes, the primary calling, the primary calling that was on them was to come and be with Jesus. But I think that Jesus believed that their being in his presence would transform them. That something would begin to happen in their life. And that because of this transformation, that they would choose to be partners in Jesus' kingdom work. That they would choose to join him in the work that he was doing, in the work that was taking place. 
And, and as I look at this and I read through this idea of Mark chapter 3 and this, this third story in Mark uh, of Jesus calling out disciples, it led me to what I feel like is one of the most important and amazing things that Jesus taught about leadership and developing leaders. The second big idea in this series that we've been talking about. Are you ready? Leaders empower others. I want to look at just a couple points on what this means and what's happening in this that Jesus understood that he modeled for us so that we could understand how important it is for us to be empowering others to lead. And I think that these lessons, that these tips are crucial to our own developing of leaders. When I talk, it doesn't always turn out that I end up with three points, but today I accidentally do. So let me walk you through these kind of three points that come out. The first one is this. Jesus chose them. In Mark chapter 3, verse 13, we read this earlier. It says that Jesus called out the ones he wanted to go with him. Jesus chose them. Now, I believe that as we read through the scriptures, there are way more disciples than we ever see named. When we tend to talk about the disciples, we think about these 12, these 12 that are listed in in Mark chapter 3. But there are way more than that that we see talked about. Many of them never go named. So later we watch as Jesus sends out 72 to go and do ministry. We don't know their names. We don't know who all they were. We don't know who all was sent. Even later, we find that 120 disciples are gathered with Jesus in an upper room. We don't know who was present in that room. So we know that there are these 12, but also that Jesus had lots of other followers. Lots of people who chose to journey with him, who chose to learn from him, who chose to partner with Jesus in kingdom work. And there's strong evidence, we're not going to look at this today, but there's strong evidence that Jesus' disciples were both women and men. Believe it or not, even though the twelve are men, lots of cultural reasons, again, we're not going to look at all the evidence, but strong evidence that Jesus' disciples were both women and men. And we watch in these, these invitations, these calling of disciples, that, that the normal pattern, the normal practice was Jesus invited them to join him. In fact, we even see stories where those that have come to be healed by Jesus or transformed by Jesus or impressed by Jesus in some way come to Jesus and say, can I go with you? Can I be one of your followers? Can I be a disciple? And that it's not uncommon for Jesus to tell them no. I don't think the lesson in that is that leadership is only for a few, that it's this exclusive group that only a few can be a part of. I think the lesson that is in that is that leaders are supposed to be looking for new leaders. Leaders are supposed to be on the lookout for others to lead with them. Leaders are supposed to look for and recognize and call out the potential they see in others, whether they've seen it in themselves yet or not. Now, that doesn't mean that sign-up lists for, for leaders are a bad idea. That doesn't mean that kind of open calls for who wants to lead this are a bad idea. But I think we do see that in Jesus' ministry and also, honestly, throughout history, that the best leaders tend to be leaders who were called into that, who didn't simply trip into accidentally becoming leaders. Now, there are stories of those that tripped into it, but that's not the norm. The norm is that they were called into this some way, that they were identified and that they were asked to step up and to serve in that way. The responsibility for new leadership sits in the lap 
of existing leaders. That means as one who is leading you, I should be identifying and inviting new leaders to come and join me. And I told you last week, this is hard for me. I am not good at this, but it is a crucial piece of what Jesus showed us in the development of leaders, in the creating of leaders. That means that you, whether you're leading at Valley, or you're leading in your workplace, or you're leading at your school, or you have a leading role in your family in some way, we're all leading somewhere. In whatever way you're leading, it means that you need to be looking for investing in and inviting new leaders to rise up and lead. At work, you're looking for people who you can train to become new leaders. At Valley, you're looking for people who you can equip to become new leaders. In your home, you are teaching your sons and daughters what it means for them to lead, to rise up, to take ownership, to take responsibility. You are teaching people how to lead more effectively all the time. Identifying and inviting new leaders. A second thing that I, that I see in Jesus that I think is really important is that Jesus equipped the leaders he chose. Verses 14 and 15, it says, Then he appointed 12 of them and called them his apostles. They were to accompany him. And he would send them out to preach, giving them authority to cast out demons. Jesus had something special for these 12. Jesus was doing something unique with them. It, it says that they were, they were called out not just as disciples, but they were named apostles. Now, again, I think we've got to be really cautious with the idea that this means there's something happening in them that, that isn't for the rest of us or that the rest of us aren't invited in. I don't think that's the case. I think we do see this idea of a layers of leadership, of, of different people leading at different levels in different ways. And if we look at our own life, we know that that same thing is true. But what we also watch taking place is that Jesus has special responsibilities, not just for these, but for all who are willing to go says that these would go with Jesus, that they would be sent out to preach, that they would be given authority to cast out demons. Ultimately, it says they were being given the authority to do what Jesus could do. They'd, given, they'd be given the responsibility to join hand in hand in Jesus' work. These apostles and other disciples who, who may or may not be named later in the scriptures, they weren't there to carry his coat. They weren't there so that they could catch bodies after Jesus cast out demons. They weren't there so that they could pass out decision cards after Jesus gave really great sermons. These were not interns who were just supposed to do the slave work behind Jesus. These were partners. These were partners in ministry. They traveled with him so that they could see and learn everything that Jesus was doing because Jesus was calling them and empowering them and equipping them to do exactly the same work. In fact, in John chapter 14, in verse 12, it says that Jesus told them his followers would be able to do even greater work than he did. I tell you the truth, anyone who believes in me will do the same works I have done and even greater works. The disciples were being set up to do the same work that Jesus had done, even greater works. Jesus himself said as he spoke of them. Jesus puts incredible authority and responsibility in the hands of those he chooses. Jesus was calling out leaders and he was training them to do a significant work for the sake of the gospel and for the kingdom of God. Jesus chose them and he wanted to make sure that they had the tools and the training to do what he had planned for them. 
And while I think these first two things are really, really big deal in our empowering and calling of others, I'm most impressed and most amazed by this third thing that I think is important here. Jesus didn't just choose and equip. Jesus chose and equipped leaders who were less qualified than he was. I think there's something huge in that. He chose them to do his work, even though he knew they would struggle to accomplish it. He chose them to do the work that he was doing, even though he could do it better than they could do it. Mark 3 tells us already in the very beginning that there would be failings among them. The 12th apostle that's mentioned, he's mentioned in verse 19. There's this parenthetical information that's listed around Judas. It says, Judas Iscariot, who later betrayed him. Now, I don't know. Did Jesus know here when he chose him in Mark 3 that Judas would one day betray him? I, I don't have any idea. I don't know if he was aware or not. I don't know if maybe Mark was giving us insight into what would happen. Peter's listed here. Did Jesus know when he chose him that three years later he would deny even being one of Jesus' followers? I have no idea. But I do believe that Jesus knew that these disciples and so many others would all fail along the way. That they would have shortcomings. That they would have ways in which they couldn't get it done. That they would make mistakes. That they would struggle with faith to cast out demons. And we see that take place. That they wouldn't always understand Jesus' teachings. That they would wrestle for positions of power among their colleagues. That they wouldn't grasp all he was doing until after he was finished. And then they would still have questions about what was going on. That they would struggle to welcome Gentiles and lawbreakers and women and other unappreciated people. I don't know if Jesus expected any of these specific failings when he called out these 12 and the others who would be a part of following him. But I believe that Jesus knew without a shadow of a doubt that there would be shortcomings, that they would fail, that they were not fully qualified. That they weren't fully able, that they weren't fully capable, that there were a multitude of reasons why they would struggle at the work that he was giving them. And yet he chose them, and he empowered them, and he let them go do it. Actually, he did more than that. He expected them to go do it. As leaders, we have to grow in our commitment to choose and to equip and to release leaders who may not be as qualified as we are to do the work that they need to be a part of doing. We need to empower other leaders who may fail along the way. You and I have to release our needs for control and power and perfection. Oh, and that is so hard for me. That is so hard for me to do that. If I do something on my own, I know what's coming out. If I fail at it, it's my fault. Nobody else's. If I give the job to someone else and they don't do it the way I expected them to, I don't know what to do with that. It's such a difficult thing for me to wrestle with. But we must empower others to lead. 
But let's be honest, why in the world will we do so? Why in the world did Jesus do so? Why did Jesus call up leaders who he knew weren't capable of doing the work he could do on his own? He could do far better on his own. He could do it and they would struggle ever getting there. But why in the world did he do so? Why should we do so? I think Jesus understood something significant that we often overlook until it's too late. Leadership is always temporary. Leadership is always temporary. Jesus was on the earth for 30 or 35 years maybe. His public ministry, we expect, was, was three years or so is what we have the understanding of as we look at the scriptures. But if the kingdom that he prayed would be on earth as it was in heaven was to actually happen, he had to empower others to continue the work. The future of this movement that he'd started, the future of the gospel, the future of the church depended on new leaders. If this thing that Jesus was doing that he was teaching about was actually going to change the world, Jesus had to empower less capable, less qualified, less able women and men to do the work that he would only begin. The kingdom of God would rely on these and so many other disciples. The kingdom of God would rely on Peter and James and John and Mary and later Paul and even later Augustine, Teresa of Avila, a man named Billy Graham, a woman named Lottie Moon, a missionary named William Shepherd, a missionary couple named Jim and Elizabeth Elliot, and so many others, some of whom names we know and celebrate, and some of whom's names we have never heard and never will. But because of the calling of Jesus on their life and the grace of God and the incredible power of the Holy Spirit, they were able to carry on the work of Jesus, even though every single one of them was far less capable of doing it than Jesus was himself. And that's exactly what Jesus has done with us. Exactly what Jesus has done. Jesus has chosen us. To carry forward the work of the gospel as valley. He's equipped us to do the work that he's called us to. Even though we're far less qualified than Jesus himself was. We're far less capable than Jesus himself is to accomplish this. There may be even better options out there than us. Better people to do that. And yet Jesus has chosen us. And he knows that along the way we will fail a ton of times. It may take us a lifetime to get anything right. We may still not get it right. But Jesus chose us. He equipped us. He empowered us for this time in history. The work of the kingdom. The work of the gospel. The work of the church. Is our Work. This is our time. This is our chance. We are the disciples empowered to do Jesus' work in this time and in this place. Friends, if Valley is going to continue to do the work that Jesus has called us to in the days and weeks and months and years and generations ahead, 
then we have to be empowering new leaders to take it forward. Because leadership is always temporary. Mine is, yours is, whether we're here for two years or five years or 20 years or a lifetime, it's way shorter than the amount of time that's necessary to do all that God has called us to do. And the future of God's desires for Valley are dependent upon those of us who are current leaders empowering new leaders. If we're going to do ministry for generations more than you and I have got to be equipping new leaders, new leaders who are young and old, male and female, to continue the work that we're doing and so much more. Now, yes, as we do this, we've got to be honest. Does it mean that they'll do it as well as we've done it? There's no guarantee. Does it mean that they will do it different than the way we have done it? Probably. Does it mean that they'll change some things along the way that we wish they wouldn't? Yeah, most likely. But we have to release our needs for control and our own personal preferences and trust That the Holy Spirit is doing incredible work and he will do it with new people in new ways for a new generation in a new culture. Because this is about the work of Jesus, not the work of Chad or Henry or John or Kathy or so many others that have done incredible works along the way and are continuing to do so today. We must allow others to try to fail, to learn To grow. And it'll take time. But those of us who are training them up have to be patient and intentional because they will get there. Now, it's hard. It's hard. It's so much harder to equip and empower new leaders than it is just to do it yourself. I mean, honestly, it is. We all know that that's true. It is hard. It is so much more difficult. But it is necessary if this work is going to continue. They will get there. They must get there because the future of Valley depends on it. The truth is the future work of the kingdom, the work of the gospel depends on it. Our leadership is temporary. So we must empower others to lead us into the future. I want to finish with a poem this morning. A poem that was written by St. Teresa of Avila. A poem that reminds us of the great work that Jesus has chosen us to do. The work that we are empowering others to do. The work that we are grossly unqualified to accomplish. And yet this is the way that God has chosen to get it done. Christ has no body but yours. No hands, no feet on earth but yours. Yours are the eyes with which he looks compassion on this world. Yours are the feet with which he walks to do good. Yours are the hands with which he blesses all the world. Yours are the hands. Yours are the feet. Yours are the eyes. You are his body. Christ has no body now but yours. No hands, no feet on earth but yours. Yours 
are the eyes with which he looks compassion on this world. Christ has no body now on earth but yours. Pray with me, would you? Jesus, we are your body. Your body residing here in this place, in this space, in this time in history. And we ask that you would empower us to be your body well, to do your work. In ways that are far beyond our abilities, our understandings, our knowledge, our training, our skills. Through the grace of Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit, use us for miraculous works. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.